John chapter 1, we're going to be in John chapter 1, verses 1 to 18. <clears throat> Excuse me, I'm, I'm still dealing with a little bit of cold. It's been like three weeks. Can you guys pray for me? Like one prayer request. I've been sick for like three and a half weeks. And I, I, I was getting a little better and then I got sick again. If you could pray for me this week, I'm like sick of being sick. Anyone feel me? I'm sick of being sick. So if you could pray for me, that would be wonderful. All right, John chapter 1, verses 1 to 18. Anyone love Star Wars? Star Wars fans? Any nerds in, in, our, I'm kidding, in our house? Um, Star Wars, their original trilogy follows young Luke Skywalker and Princess Leia and Han Solo as they rebel against the Empire. The opening scene of the original film, not the remade ones, but the orig- if, if you're a true fan, the original film, anyone remember what year? 19, close, 1977, titled A New Hope, starts with the opening notes of John Williams' iconic intro as the words crawl across the galaxy. Maybe if you haven't seen the movie, you see, you've seen this scene, right? This, this intro to the, all those stories, the epic tale that John Williams is trying to tell. It says, all long time ago in a faraway galaxy, far, far away. And as these words appear, all of those that are in the theater or watching from their home, the audience is transported into a realm of myth and wonder, setting the stage for a timeless tale. One of the most iconic uh, cinematic overtures in our time. I think one of the most iconic overtures of of probably our generation. And John chapter 1, the passage that we're going to be in today, verses 1 to 18, is very much like the words that are on our screen, very much like John Williams' iconic overture, except this is an overture about the gospel that John is going to write. It is also an overture about how the things really begin. And for John chapter 1, verse 1, begins with the words, in the beginning. The very beginning, even before the garden, even before Genesis 1, John says, let me Rewind the tapes. R.C. Sproul, one of the um, brilliant theologians of our time, he argues that no portion of the New Testament scripture captures the imagine, imagination, attention of faithful Christian intellectual community for the past three centuries more than John chapter 1, verses 1 to 18. There's no other passage. This is it. Last several weeks, as a church community, we have been looking at both Old Testament and New Testament to study really what's the significance of this baby born in a manger. What's the significance of Christmas? Why are we, what are we celebrating in this season? So today, I'm going to rewind the story all the way back before the beginning. So let's read John chapter 1. If you have your Bibles, let me read for us. Actually, I might lose my voice. Can I have you guys read? All right, so can I have, can we do a little old school? Can we do this side of room, odd numbers, this side of even number? Let's try. In the beginning. Hold on, hold on, hold on, hold on, hold on. Can we be more excited about, should we, I'm not going to make you stand. Let's try again. Let's get excited. This is God's word beginning, right? One more time. One, two, three. In the 
All together, no one has ever seen God, the only God who is at the Father's side. He has made him known. This is the word of God. Thanks be to God. We find here, oh my goodness, okay. All right, hopefully. There we go. We find in our passage four major claims in the opening words of John's gospel. But before we go through each claim quickly, let's talk about John's reason for using the term, the word, to describe Jesus. The word in Greek is logos. Everyone say logos. Right? Why does John use logos? Why does he say in the beginning was the logos and the logos was with God and the logos was God? Why didn't John use son? or Messiah, or the Lord, which were the preferred names that John uses throughout his gospel after chapter 1. But here, very intentionally, John uses, in the beginning there was the Logos. Logos is used in English words like logic or logistics, perhaps best translated as the reason, the reason for something. You see, John understood his audience very clearly. He's speaking both to the Jews and the Greeks. And he understood to the Greeks at the time, Logos represented the ultimate creator. This idea of someone or something that created everything in the cosmos. The ultimate designer, the sustainer. In fact, the ancient Greek, their philosophers, their own philosophers used Logos as a central concept of how the world came to be. This is how they explained how the world came to be. Heraclitus, one of, their theolo- one of their philosophers, saw Logos as the principle of order and knowledge governing all of the cosmos. Their Stoic philosophers considered the Logos as an underlying rational principle that pervades the universe. That was the idea of what Logos was to the Greeks. Now, to the Jews, because he's speaking also to the mixed group of people, to the Jews, and is here writing to the Jews, and to them, Logos was God's powerful self-expression. It was means through which God created the world. Genesis 1, in the beginning, God, what? Created the world with his words. And it was the means through which not only he created the world, but it's also in means that he revealed himself to God's people through the word. It was also how he saved his people. Genesis 1, how did, again, God create the world? With his powerful words. And his powerful words extended beyond creation. He brought deliverance and judgment with faithful illness. God's word brought healing, comfort, and restoration. We see that throughout the Old Testament, God relates to us through his word. And again, John, knowing his audience, being an awesome evangelist, he intentionally chooses the word logos, not the son, not the Messiah, because it's easier, but logos to begin to tell the story of Jesus. He's saying to both the Jews and the Greeks, for centuries you have been debating, writing, thinking, and wondering about this Logos. And he says, let me tell you actually, pay attention, who this Logos is. Acts 17, verse 22 to 31, Paul, Apostle Paul, on his missionary journey, finds himself in the ancient city of Athens, 
while walking around the city, there are many, many statues. And there was a statue that was given to an unknown God. And Paul says, well, let me tell you about this unknown God. Practically, what John is doing. Saying, you've been talking about this creator, sustainer. Let me tell you who he is. He has a name. So four major claims now, four major claims that John makes about Jesus here. Claim one, Jesus existed before all things. In the beginning was Jesus. In the beginning was Jesus. Mark, in his gospel, begins with Jesus stepping into the Jordan River for baptism by his cousin, John the Baptist. That's Gospel of Mark. Luke comes along and goes further back, narrating the angel Gabriel, surprising Mary with the life-altering message that you're going to be pregnant. And Matthew, the tax collector, the other gospel writer, reaches back to the promise of Jesus' birth all the way to Father Abraham, a commitment made 2,000 years before the actual event. And John says, move over, all of y'all. Let me show you how to begin this story. And he says... I'll start from the very beginning, before the garden, before Genesis 1. So in the beginning, when we hear this phrase, in the beginning, John is very intentional about bringing us back to Genesis 1. In the beginning echoes the opening lines of the entire Bible, emphasizing the cosmic significance of this person who's coming or who has come. And John says, in order to truly understand Jesus... We must go back to the very beginning where God spoke creative words into darkness, where God spoke and chaos was put back into order. And Jesus dwelt with God in the beginning. In fact, through John's gospel, John chapter 1, verse 14, John 3, 16, John is very clear that Jesus is what? He is the begotten Son of God. Not created, but begotten. Everyone say begotten. The Greek word for begotten is monogenos. Mono meaning only and genos meaning kind or class. And what John is saying is Jesus is the only kind of himself. For he is not created like all other humans. He is begotten. John is saying here Jesus is no one like anyone, not like anyone else. He was always there and there was never a time Jesus was not. And and he ends with that Jesus was with God from the beginning. The prepositional with that we find in our text here renders the idea of two being towards one another. Where John says Jesus was there from the very beginning, not just simply existing with the Father, but they were what? They were facing each other, face-to-face intimacy. That was the type of relationship that Jesus enjoyed before he came. Let's claim one. God was there from the beginning. Jesus was there from the beginning. Claim two, Jesus was God. In the beginning was Jesus, and Jesus was with God, and John says Jesus was God. Friends, this is one of the central themes of the gospel of John. Every gospel has their central theme. For John, this is his main theme. We see Jesus immediately after this intro in John 2. What what takes place in John 2? It's this random story. 
Jesus' mother is invited, working at a wedding, invites Jesus, and they run out of wine, and, t- and the mother tells Jesus, help, help me out, son, we, we're running out of wine. And it's like, weird story. What is that story about? Yes, Jesus appreciated good wine, it's like some of us. I think so. But more importantly, John wants you and I to see that Jesus has power to create something radically different from water. See, you and I, like, I used to brew beer. Is, is that okay? Am I, am I going to be? I used to brew beer for, with a friend, a church member. We used to do that, right? And, and brewing is creating something and improving that thing into something else. But what Jesus, brewing, you need all hops and you need all of these things to make water into beer. But I cannot brew by walking up to like a jar of water and says, turn into beer. No, only Jesus can turn H2O into C2H6. I looked it up. I don't, uh, that's why. C2H6O. Completely different, different, right? And I think what John wants to tell us is this man, yes, he enjoys wine. Yes, he loves parties. But more importantly, he is unlike any of us. He can turn something into no- from nothing. This is important. And then John goes, goes to describe Jesus who, ha- who has the power to take away the sin of the world. We can't do that. John says, look, the Lamb of God, the one who's going to take away the sin of the world. And throughout the story, John tells Jesus, the one who is able to heal, able to cast out evil spirit. He speaks with authority, unlike any other teachers. He feeds 5,000, probably more, with two fish and five loaves of bread. He walks on water. He defies gravity. And Jesus says, I'm the light of the world. I'm the bread of life. I'm the gate. I'm the good shepherd. I'm the resurrection and the life. I'm the truth and the way, the the, the way, the truth and the life. No sane human being can say what Jesus says unless he either is a crazy person or he he is who he claims to be. Listen to C.S. Lewis. I love this quote. I've probably quoted this many times here. Lewis says, okay, when we think about Jesus, I'll just read the quote for us. It's, it's a little long, but follow with me. This is Lewis. I'm trying here to prevent anyone saying the really foolish thing that people often say about Jesus. What's the foolish thing? Give me a second. I'm running out of my voice. Hold on. And Lewis says, I'm, I'm, this is what the foolish thing person says. I'm ready to accept Jesus as a great moral teacher, but I don't accept his claim to be God. What many people say, oh, we love Jesus, we love it, what, what he taught. And Lewis says, Lewis says, that's foolish. That is the one thing we must not say about Jesus. A man who was merely a man and said the sort of things that Jesus said would not be a great moral teacher. He would either be a lunatic on the level with the man who says he's a poached egg, or else he would be the devil of hell. You must make your choice. Next slide. Either this man was and is the son of God or else a madman or something worse. You can shut him up for a fool. You can spit at him and kill him as a demon or you can fall at his feet and call him Lord and God. 
But let us not come with any patronizing nonsense, but his being a great human teacher, he has not left that open to us. He did not intend to. Man, C.S. Lewis, he's amazing. He's just like, whoa. But that's true. When you think about the things that Jesus has done, the claims that he has made on this earth, for us to say, well, he's a great teacher, no, either he's a lunatic or he is who he says he is. And again, I think Lewis is right. Everyone will have to make their choice. Every one of us will have to make our choice when it comes to who Jesus is to us. Either he's a God or he's a lunatic, but he's not some great moral teacher. Claim number three, Jesus was co-creator with God the Father. Claim number three, Jesus was was co-creator with God the Father. Verse 3, all things were made through him, and without him was not anything made that has been made. John is saying, Genesis 1, when God said, let there be light, Jesus was there with the Father. The Holy Spirit was there with the Father. In fact, there was never a time when Jesus was not. He envisioned the world together with the Father. It wasn't simply like Jesus was waiting the For the Father God to create the world, Jesus was involved in the process. This is where we get the rich theology of of Trinity, triune God. Genesis 1, verse 26. Then God said, check this out, let us make men in our image according to our likeness. God is, there's a conversation there's conversation between the Son and the Father and the Holy Spirit and and talking about how we're going to create humanity. Notice it's not I, but we. It's not me, but us. It's not my, but our image. Colossians chapter 1, verse 16, 17. Another letter of Paul, he echoes John saying all things were created by him, even for him, and that in him all things hold together. Let me repeat again. <clears throat> Man, I'm really afraid I might lose my voice. Hold on. Colossians chapter 1, 16, 17. All things were created by him, and even for him, and that in him all things hold together. Friends, this means your life on this earth, your possession, your passion, your profession. They're all the P's, right? That's pretty good. None are random occurrences, right? Perhaps 2023 sucked. It was terrible for you. And you're like, I can't wait till 2024. Perhaps 2023 was wonderful for you. And you're like, that was the best year of my life. Wherever you are, what, what Colossians is reminding us, through the highs and the lows of life, we still trust that God is holding our lives together. Even before the world came into existence, Jesus knew how things were going to not only play out in your life, but in the cosmos. Jesus knew humanity's inclination to rebel and seek self-glory, build earthly kingdoms, and engage in destructive behaviors. Jesus knew the war that's going on in Israel and Gaza. He knew that you and I would need rescuing from our consequences of our own actions, sin and death. Despite it all, Jesus made a deliberate choice to what? 
to create us. That's the crazy part about the creation, that Jesus was there from the very beginning, and he knew exactly how things were going to play out, and he said, Father, I think it's a great idea. Let's create humans. And ultimately, he went a step further by giving away his own life so that you and I could be restored and redeemed. Right? Jesus knew this from the very beginning. This act of love is an invitation for you and I to partake in relationship with God, to enjoy his love, to find purpose in our existence so that as you navigate through life, remember that your creation, your journey, and your redemption are all intricately connected to the love and purpose that Jesus has for each of you. This very love of God transcends the mountaintop experiences of joy and it descends into the valleys of grief and pain. His love reminds us even the most challenging and painful and grief-filled seasons are not without meaning and purpose. And that's what I love about just, for me, it's not the mountaintop experiences where I feel the presence of God. It's really when I'm getting beaten up. I mean, I've been sick for three and a half weeks. Like there are nights where I'm just awake, just coughing, coughing, and miserable. And these, in these moments, I sense God's closeness. I sense that he's there with me. And so friends, my encouragement to you, whatever trials and challenges that you're going through, whether it's sickness, whether it's rejection, whether it's grieving of loss of a loved one, I want to encourage you to embrace the season, not only the mountaintop experiences, but also the valleys. Every trial and every setback, every moment of suffering becomes a thread in the tapestry of our redemption. Ultimately, Jesus wins. A redemption crafted by the very hand of a creator who has not only overcome them for us, This is what's amazing about Jesus. Not simply that Jesus overcame sin and death, but also that he knows, he intricately knows, intimately knows our suffering, our pain, our tears. So again, John says, all things were made through him and without him was not anything made that was made. And that includes your life, my life, your marriage, my marriage your relationship with someone, your profession, all of it, he holds together. Amen? And this wonderfully leads us to fourth and final claim that we find in, first, in John chapter 1. And the fourth final claim is that Jesus overcame all darkness. The light shines in the darkness, and the darkness has not overcome it. Notice, John says, Jesus overcame all darkness, not some darkness, not here and there darkness, not a little bit of darkness, but all darkness, every corner of darkness that is in my heart, in your heart, every corner of darkness that is in the world is being eradicated by Jesus. Verse 5, the darkness shines, the light shines in the darkness, and the darkness has not overcome it. You see, throughout the Gospel of John, we see Satan, the father of lies, the darkness himself, the dark Vader of the Bible, 
We're back to Star Wars again somehow. Satan tried everything under his own power to derail Jesus. He, he presented Jesus with alluring temptations. He orchestrated circumstances that caused Jesus profound grief. Tested the limits of Jesus' endurance and humanity. He even dangled the allure of worldly power and treasures. Yet in the face of these trials, Jesus said what? I'm here to do the will of the Father. I'm here to do the will of the Father. I'm here to do the will of the Father. This is why in verse 12 of our passage, John says what he says, To all who did receive him, who believed in his name, he gave the right to become the children of God by the will of God. Verse 17, For the law was given through Moses, grace and truth came through Jesus Christ. Notice John here doesn't say Jesus helped. Jesus helps you and I to overcome our darkness. It doesn't say Jesus inspires you and I to overcome our darkness. It doesn't say Jesus assisted you and I in overcoming our darkness. But it says only Jesus himself can overcome darkness. The realization of this victory is once again encapsulated in these words of John. The word became flesh and dwelt among us. Verse 14. The word became flesh and dwelt among us. The Greek word for dwelt literally means to live in a tent. Anyone like camping? Right? Dwelt. In, in, in the original language, it, it makes people think about this tent. You see, John is pointing you and I to the sacred tabernacle that Moses had built in Mount Sinai. The very place where God's glorious presence came to live and unite with his people. John says Jesus is the greater tent. Jesus is the greater tabernacle. Through him, all all can place their faith in him and can come to know who God is and to be known by him. Friends, the ultimate expression of darkness, no one can argue this, ultimate expression of darkness is death. And John tells us Jesus entered all darkness and even death could not consume him. And friends, isn't this the gospel that we talk about every week? That all who receive him and believe in his name, Jesus covers us with his righteousness, his light, his life, his death is what renews you and I. So as we are inching closer to this year's Christmas and inching close to the end of 2023, I want to encourage you, would you take a day, a few days? Right, yesterday we were in our community group and we were doing a Christmas uh, celebration and we're sharing about um, just one of the things that we're thankful about and we're excited about. But many of us realize, man, we haven't even thought about, processed What's been happening? Because we live such a busy lives. Even myself, I'm barely surviving. I've been sitting for three and a half weeks. I preach one day. I'm like, oh, I don't think I can do it next week. I'm doing it. I'm just surviving. But what a wonderful opportunity that we have to slow things down and really reflect on the real reason for the celebration of this season. And I want to encourage you. Would you just take a day, half day if you can, 
to just journal if you have to, to sit before the Lord if you have to. Invite a friend and say, hey, can we just process this year together? And make that a meaningful time for you as we enter 2024. I hope we enter 2024 with excitement and renewed renewed um, joy for the Lord. Amen? All right, let me pray for us. You guys got to pray for me. I don't know, next week, Lord, please, let me pray for us. Um, Lord, we thank you for this overture of John. <coughs> Lord, we, it's so rich in theology and meaning, it's hard for us to consume. Uh, so I just pray, Lord, uh, as we spend time with you in this coming week, help us to sit on these words of John. That the word was there from the beginning. That the word was God. That the word overcame all darkness. And the word created all that is made. And the word holds everything in our lives together. So I pray if anyone is anxious about the season... If anyone is filled with grief in this season, if anyone is discouraged what's happening around them, God, would you remind us, would you help us to zoom out of our problems that we have, to see that we are on a journey, this journey of this redemption, that at the end, Lord, you win, and we win with you. Thank you for our time. Thank you for this reminder. Just let me pray.